think it's a fantastic thing that ICE is doing it, but I also think that everybody should be doing it, right? I think that NASDAQ, I think that Amex, I think the SEC should seriously consider approving ETFs. I think it's time. I've also seen a lot of new crypto funds being created as well. Those are funds that are being created in order to hold large amounts of crypto. Investors could kick in X amount of investment money in hopes of bigger gains. Welcome to a Bit Cryptic Podcast, where we interview top crypto experts to take you down the rabbit hole into the world of cryptocurrency. Now, it's time to get a bit cryptic. Hey everyone, Jang, co-host of Bit Cryptic. I have the pleasure of being here with Steve Orr, He's an executive senior vice president of Money.net, a company that uh, provides a streaming uh, real-time financial market data to Wall Street financial institutions and financial professionals. It's a company that's trying to change how financial professionals uh, look at data, monitor, analyze, and, and research data. And it covers market sectors, everything from traditional assets like equities, bonds, a foreign exchange, to even emerging asset class like cryptocurrencies, which is quite interesting. Steve Orr also sits on the board of the uh, American Blockchain and Cryptocurrency Association. He's a Wall Street veteran, being uh, in the trading uh, area for quite some years. He's a all-around nice guy, and uh, you know, I'm just catching up with Steve. We just uh, attended a fascinating forum at the Federal Reserve Bank of St. Louis. Yes, yeah, very yeah. cool where they featured a discussion on uh, cryptocurrency technology and blockchain. And so we'll definitely get to that. So how are you feeling, Steve? I feel great. We're excited to be a little bit cryptic tonight, huh? <laughs> yes. That means speaks for itself. And, uh, you know, because it's interesting, it's intriguing. Just like your background, tell us a, us a little bit about, you know, like your Wall Street uh, origin. Uh, you, you have a very interesting background. And, and how did you make that transition from traditional finance into cryptocurrency? Sure, of course. Um, I had a very interesting background at the very, very beginning. And when I was coming up, I either wanted to be into politics or I wanted to go into finance. And uh, an interesting turn of my events happened. Uh, my grandfather said I should probably come to Arkansas. I met a guy named Bill Clinton. So I ended up in the White House and uh, State Department. So a little bit turn of events. But at the same time, I kept my eyes on the market and I traded the whole time. I was, I've been trading since I was literally 18. And legally, so. Uh, but the interesting thing about that was, I always had my eye on things that were outside the norm for the finance world. And so I was—I've been in hospitality, I've been in uh, real estate, retail, as well as I've been in uh, worked at Segway for a long time, selling machines. I like the technology side of it, and um, also in the in the hospitality section. I worked at a hotel for many, many years too, as well, and the art world. And one of the things that I see about crypto and, and blockchain is all the different aspects of where it can be. I came back and then I wanted to be a trader again. I've always been a trader, but I wanted to come back and be a professional trader again. And I did. And I ended up working at money.net. Um, they have, they had a great platform and, and I felt like it needed to go to the next level. And I thought like I was that guy to help them bring that to the next level. And we did. Um, we actually brought cryptocurrency, the first financial professional platform to Wall Street. It started out with over 500 different crypto pairs, and it blossomed from there, actually. Over time, we have started to move to a different level of having an ICO background, as well as 
market caps. You can see all the stuff behind me, the charts and the professional versions of that. And um, I got in the cryptocurrency world in a very interesting situation. My best friend, Aaron Dan, his brother was a Bitcoin miner and he kept talking to me about Bitcoin and I did not understand what he was talking about. I thought he was crazy and I didn't understand it because I thought that the Fed would never allow uh, cryptocurrencies or blockchain currencies of any type into the everyday life aspects that we use, whether it be our credit cards or however we make the exchanges. He continued to talk to me about it and eventually the light bulb went off in my head. And when it did, I don't consider myself an evangelist or rah-rah rate cheerleader, but I do consider myself someone that wants to see blockchain and cryptocurrency growing organically. And I think that's actually happening in the world, regardless of where the price of Bitcoin is or regardless of where the market cap of crypto is. I saw you you spent some time in Washington, D.C. Many um, years. Many years. And then you've built some solid experience working in markets in in New York City. Okay. And then uh, you made your foray into cryptocurrency. Now, I guess a, a question that I have just to help uh, people understand, because you know a, a lot of us might use financial data, economic statistics, but in, in the modern era, a lot of us may just use open source data that's open, that's readily available sure. on the World Wide Web, right. right? So when people think of financial data provider, people may think of of Reuters, or they'll, or they'll think of Bloomberg, or they'll think of you know Yahoo Finance. So help us understand, you know, like, like who are the major players and what it is you provide. Because when when people watch the news or they mm-hmm. they you know uh, watch a movie uh, that has a Wall Street scene, it's it's mm-hmm. uh, some trading desk, you know, right. and, uh, with this massive terminal like but what we have uh, behind us, right? right. <laughs> yeah, sure. And so it's sort of a, a ubiquitous scene, right? And so is this what you're providing, a, a desktop terminal? Is to help us well, understand what's going on? I can tell you we're on Axe Capital, so, yeah. but I can tell you that there's nothing wrong with the Bloomberg machine. There is nothing wrong with Thompson Reuters other than their older platforms. Probably deserve to be in a museum more than on a desktop, right? But there's nothing wrong with them. They do provide the same data, but why spend $20,000 a year when you can spend 2500 a year, right? I think that the quality of the data is still the same. It's just how that we aggregate it, right? And we aggregate it from the same source that everybody else aggregates it from. I think the things that Bloomberg does well is chat room. We do the chat room too. You know, Thompson Reuters may have a certain section, maybe bonds, whatever it is. We do it too. You know, we're better at providing the data in a much clearer, concise, and a prettier version than the old orange and black box, right? Then you can see here behind me, I mean, it's nice and clear and concise. And we use the same technical data that everybody else uses. Except now we can add cryptocurrency data within our platform and just plug it right in. We didn't have to use an old legacy product to get an old legacy product. We just fit the data straight into the machine. So who are your ideal users currently? Is, is it the institutional financial player, like sure. our family offices? Or are they the... Asset managers are they the, the more the crypto hedge fund? Mm-hmm. That's a great question, Danny. In fact, we have every level of investor. We have everybody from the local dentist to JP Morgan's got some, right? So I mean, you the platform in and of itself is available to everybody. It's an HTML5 version, so you don't have to download a software piece. It's automatically there. You just have to log in your username, password. So can you 
uh, show us a quick demo, like what a person be interested in, in looking at it from a crypto perspective? Sure, of course. Well, I think the first thing everyone's always interested is what's the price of my coin, mm-hmm. right? And whether that be Bitcoin or Ethereum or Litecoin. And we have that ability in real time. You'll see it's aggregated at the corner there with uh, Ethereum, right there, 2872 at the, at the market right now um, in real time. And we were able to take the normal traditional Wall Street technical details and plug it right in with crypto data. So we have all the technical things that you would like to have, um, whether that be a MACD chart, whether that be momentum or RSI relative strength, all of those things that you normally would have in a normal chart, we have those as well. Okay. We also aggregate other things that crypto enthusiasts want to know, which is the market cap of crypto, you know, what coin market cap is. Right now I can tell you in real time is 12 points. Eight billion right now is the total volume, and I can see the total market cap right now is two hundred twenty-nine point six billion, and the Bitcoin dollar is fifty-two point nine two percent. Right? I can also tell you in any currency you want to learn it in. If you want to learn it in the yen or the won, or you want to learn it in Australian dollar, I can we can convert those as well. And it's in the corner here. And we also have an ICO dashboard. You know, I think I think a lot of uh, crypto people are very interested in. ICOs and what's the next version of the coins coming out. And so we have that ability to see those as well as sort them by rate. So for those who don't know what an ICO is, initial coin offering, can you describe broadly, you know, why, why would somebody want to uh, be interested in right. ICO? Right. So an ICO is a thing where if you wanted to come and you wanted to build a new idea, it's a place for them to go to the internet to get money, okay. to get fiat currency, and they accept it in cryptocurrency. So they may accept it in a Bitcoin or Ethereum, and they can raise money like an IPO, but for many projects, whereas in an IPO, IPOs don't happen very often. They may be three, maybe two or three a day at the most. There's 1,600 coins, and ICOs are coming out at least five to six a day. So it's a very exciting world there. Uh, I know a lot of people are saying that, oh, ICOs are failing all the time, and they are, but just over every other business, they do fail. But you're eliminating the middleman. You're eliminating the venture capitalists, the angel money people. And so you're able to go straight to the person in China that wants to raise, you know, they can raise money from anywhere in the world that has a crypto wallet. So you're showing data feeds, information about these initial coin offerings, uh, which are essentially blockchain startups crowdfunding to launch their digital token, Mm -hmm. uh, uh, whether it's a utility token to access to some digital network or it's uh, used more as a crypto asset. And these blockchain startups launching these initial coin offering, they could be located anywhere around the world. So essentially you're getting information about IC information from from anywhere in the world. Correct, yes. We do get streaming news. We aggregate the news. Uh, we aggregate it in two different ways. We get it from all the different sources that you're normally used to, Coin News, Coin Telegraph, all those we- uh, websites that we're used to. But we aggregate it within our own system so that you don't have to go out there and have 30 websites up and to see the latest news. We can actually click straight into the actual news and find out what's what's going on. I can click and pull up that, that news for the day, and there it is. Interesting. Okay. And so, in real time, too. Yeah. I don't have to wait to get an email or a text but this happened, it's automatically put into our system. Right, right. So there's a, a little bit of, uh, you know, the, the for data for those who are more accustomed to uh, fundamental analysis, doing a deeper dive into uh, a company they'd like to invest in. Uh, in this uh, case, it would be uh, blockchain startups. Mm-hmm. Uh, those are launching their own uh, network. 
launching their own digital ecosystem. There's also technical analysis, um, some of the momentum charts that Steve was pointing out. So back to the uh, the, the market's data about uh, cryptocurrency. So as I understand it, uh, the you're 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 aggregating the data, uh, right? These are you know large, mm-hmm. uh, live, high frequency data, and uh, crypto assets uh, right now they. The prices, the information live out on numerous, numerous digital exchanges around the world. I mean, this this is quite a feat in order to uh, be able to feed on to one one platform like that. What is the process of you know building that technical wherewithal? And, well, you know, everybody, everybody wants to eat the sausage, but this one no has made. I will be honest with you that it did take us a very long time to do this. And we have some pretty good developers. One guy's named Nick. That took, you know, they they took the time and the uh, they the love, I guess, shall we say, to put this all together. We had the basics of it within the other system, Money.net. We also within this system, the crypto system, we were able to quickly take the data and feed it right into our system. Right. So this is not some pre-launch phase. This is running right now, no, and, and you have subscribers. You we have, did, yes. did you, and you have uh, customers who are using uh, this data for, you know, in order to take advantage of market opportunities. I'm curious about sort of the, the customer base and uh, market uh, of customers who would be using this. Would it be people who have traditionally be interested in traditional financial data like equities, bonds, uh, foreign exchange, what have you? Sure. And then now they, for whatever reason, they want more exposure to cryptocurrency. Sure. And, and so they, yes. they sign on for the yes. data. Yes, we have everything. So we're the one-stop shop. If you want equities, we got that. If you want futures, we got that. So we already are doing the commodities and we're doing the normal stocks and the ETFs and the mutual funds. We already have all that data. What people are now asking for is the next level, uh, the next asset class, shall we say, which cryptocurrencies are, that they needed this. And so now we provided it for them. I see. Now, with the traditional finance crowd, I know there's a, there's a lot of talk about a lot of pent-up demand there or sure. potential demand sure. uh, sitting on the sidelines. Sure. Now, that uh, customer base potentially could mean uh, a lot uh, for uh, for your data platform, mm-hmm. right? Uh, I just wanted to get your thoughts on just sort of the, um, the broader appetite for cryptocurrency from the traditional finance crowd. Like, what are you hearing? And there's usually two areas to this. There's a narrative that's uh, probably bent sure. towards the uh, skepticism about sure. this crypto asset class. Me too. <laughs> and, there's, yeah. and there's the other side who's, uh, you know, probably uh, closer to the evangelist crowd. Like, what, right. what are you hearing and how, how, how do you balance that? I agree. It's right in the middle somewhere. I mean, when the market was moving in 2017 last year, the words I kept hearing was tulip bulbs, tulip bulbs, you know, and the reality check, I think it was a little bit of tulip bulb mania. It was going crazy, right? But at that point, it also gave a lot of people some new exposure to, you know, cryptocurrencies and what is this thing called Bitcoin? And all of a sudden, there wasn't this... 2015, I couldn't tell you on one hand how many people knew what a Bitcoin was, right? We do, but the average person did not, right? But by 2017, it was the tip of everybody's tongue. And now I don't think I know anybody who doesn't know what not know what the word cryptocurrency is. And I think that's organic growth, regardless of what the price of, of Bitcoin is or any of the cryptos. I think it has to grow organically. One of the things that happened in the meeting tonight 
was that he was talking about the change of currency in and of itself. The meeting at the Federal Reserve Bank. Right. He was talking about the dollar's changed several times in different colors and flavors and the price and the quantity and the quality of the dollar and how long it lasts. I mean, this it's the wild, wild west, yes. But organically, we are growing, and I think it is maturing as an asset class. And anything that matures like an asset class that organizations can't get rid of, like the Fed, is here to stay, shall we say. They need to be more accepting of it, and they have been. And I felt like tonight's meeting was very accepting of that. So when you hear of major announcement from big players, like uh, recently the uh, Intercontinental Exchange, right. Um, ICE, uh, who's the parent of uh, the New York Stock Exchange, they recently uh, announced that they're, they're launching or have launched an entity, a company exclusively focused on cryptocurrencies. Now, I'm curious, uh, like, what is it they're providing? And do you know what they're What I've heard is that they're providing some sort of data news feed for large of financial institutions yeah, like, like asset managers and hedge funds and so forth. And so uh, the first question is, what are they doing? And, and two, do you think this is a, a huge uh, benefit to bring more liquidity in, into the sector? Absolutely. Liquidity, liquidity, liquidity. I think this is like real estate, location, location, location. If you have the liquidity, then the price fluctuations are very fast, right? And, and, and they fluctuate very a lot, right? And I think that's the problem. If, if only you and I were trading the world, we wouldn't be much volatility, right? And I think volatility is also the other answer. But you also have to have liquidity. And I think ICE brings more players to the game, more money, and more eyeballs to the, the actual Bitcoin in and of itself. So, yeah, I think that's a, it's a fantastic thing that ICE is doing it. But I also think that everybody should be doing it, right? I think that NASDAQ, I think that Amex, I think we should start, I think the SEC should seriously consider approving ETFs. I think it's time. I think that I've also seen a lot of new crypto funds being created as well. Those are funds that are being created in order to hold large amounts of crypto that uh, investors could kick in X, X amount of investment money in hopes of bigger gains. So, yeah. So that would be uh, welcome news for the advocates and those who are very optimistic about this market. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> You snuck that one in there. <laughs> I also believe the regulation as well. I yeah. think that one of the things that we all, no matter what it is in life we do, security is a big issue, right? You're securing your PIN number, you're securing, you know, we have Ether wallets, right? Security is a major issue. And I think that that also is something that, is a hindrance to a lot of the SEC in and of itself. But maybe security isn't all there because they see the exchange is getting hacked. Well, most people don't realize that this exchange is getting hacked and not your actual crypto. They can't, they can't uh, hack the blockchain, right? So I think that's exactly what needs to be put out there as well, uh, organically as well, not just some Bitcoin enthusiasts. I heard from an interview with the BlackRock uh, CEO, everything, and. I believe, if I recall correctly, he was asked whether his his client base, uh, his customers from all around the world, uh, have expressed a, a you know a strong demand to uh, have exposure to cryptocurrency. And I think the answer was no. He said that not that not, not that I, not that he can recall um, any of his uh, customers. Yeah, but Jamie Dimon said he'd fire anybody in his office who uh, traded cryptocurrency and come to find out his daughter had cryptocurrency. 
And so, yeah, I understand that, but that was time, and time takes time. And now that we are a little farther in the in the world of crypto, a lot more of us have crypto than that had not had, right? Um, I think they were asked the question today in the meeting: How many of you actually own Bitcoin? And half the hands came up, and I think that was surprising to to the uh, moderator today because they they thought that not many people had crypto, but they actually there's more people than they're actually not. And I think anonymity has been a big part of player of the cryptocurrency world. So you were talking about uh, regulatory uh, policy, and you believe that fair, prudent, smart uh, regulations can help to foster uh, liquidity and, and market formation. Safety and security, right? Yeah, safety and security. The Federal Reserve, uh, the central bank, also you know plays an influential role in shaping that understanding and also people's view of how to foster uh, innovation and balancing that sure. with prudent uh, risk management and safety and soundness standards, right? right? I mean, and the central bank is where banks go to, yeah. to, to get their money, right? right? And to be safe, because yeah. they don't always feel safe. And, and the central banks go to the federal government to feel safe. And the federal government, you know, protects our money. Mm-hmm. And so there's a safety net somewhere along the line, right? Yeah. And while a lot of people don't feel that the blockchain or crypto doesn't have that safety net. And I think we can't just create the safety net out of, out of nothing, out of thin air. We can't just create a central bank. That's why it is decentralized. I think that's that you can't make numbers up. You can't just print more Bitcoin. And I think that in and of itself is a safety factor all of, it, all of its own, right? There's only so many Bitcoin and there's only so many transactions in the day that it can handle. And the Federal Reserve constantly says, you know, we handle so many transactions well, the reality is so can so can the blockchain. So, when you were at the uh, at the Fed meeting, what other things surprised you? I mean, did the they were talking about the notion of uh, a Fed coin. Now, what is what is that to your understanding? What what is a Fed? I'm not sure they fully explained it. What they what they thought yeah. it was, but in my mind, the Fed coin is printing. Within itself, so it creates its own coins, mm-hmm. its own tokens within the currency in and of itself within the within the Federal Reserve system. Okay. So the St. Louis Fed have their own coin. The New York Federal Reserve system has their own coin, okay. right? Mm-hmm. Or they have it where it's just one federal coin, like a federal dollar, right? So, so that's different than representing fiat currency digitally on the blockchain, right? right. So. So within the meeting, they said that there are several ways in order to tie the Bitcoin to a crypto. And they, of course, they used the tether, but they weren't able to explain tether to a lot of the people. And I think that's, I think that's something that the education system needs to help within the Federal Reserve, that they need to educate themselves on what those certain cryptocurrencies that help, quote, quote, tether it to a fiat currency. Right. So tether for the audience out there is a type of uh, stable uh, digital currency. Uh, you may know that uh, cryptocurrencies are still in their early phase and because of uh, a lot of the noise and arbitrage opportunities and maybe thin liquidity in certain markets causes a lot of volatility uh, coupled with a fair amount of speculation as well. And so there's been uh, projects that teams who've introduced new technology, uh, digital token technology that uh, would uh, the solution would be to uh, create a stable uh, cryptocurrency, yep. and that would sort of lessen the fear and to foster, you know, a wider adoption, right, uh, by businesses and 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 people as well. 
and, and Tether is, is one of those solutions. And, and I think this, this notion of a, of a stable cryptocurrency is attractive to the market, to investors, as well as regulators and uh, the central bank. So, so I think it's quite interesting that, you know. Unlike the central bank, <laughs> Tether can print. So, <laughs> and they do. Right. Right. Yeah. So looking one to three years in the future, where, where do you see uh, this, this market going? And, and how does uh, Money.net uh, see itself in, in that ecosystem? So are you asking about the crypto world in three to five years? <laughs> uh, let me go get my, my, my magical crystal ball out and tell you. I can tell you that we are growing. It's growing as more knowledgeable of a system, what currencies are out there to purchase, how to purchase them. Many people do not know how to download a, an Ether wallet. Many people don't know how to get on Coinbase, even though back last year they said they were adding like 50,000 users a day. So I think that's, we're going to see a large growth in that aspect. They may not have thousands of dollars in Bitcoin, but they may have a couple of hundred, right? See how it goes. That, I think, next two to three years will be a, a major milestone for any any crypto. Um, I also see that money.net will definitely grow. The algorithms that we're going to incorporate, those things that how to figure out the next price and, the, and looking for the future of price, I think we'll have that. I do think that the SEC will approve the ETFs. I think we'll have some ETFs. I think that futures... Uh, we do have that. We have one futures contracts already, right? The XBT, and I think that we will be. Uh, it's, it's already incorporated in our system, but I think that people will be looking at futures of coins a little more closer, like they do the futures of cattle or futures of bonds. So I think that I think that will grow as well, and I think that the acceptance of it will grow as well. Mm-hmm. I think that's a very optimistic view, and uh, I, I don't think it's optimistic. I think it's realistic. You think it's realistic? Yeah. I don't, I mean, like I said, I'm not a Bitcoin evangelist. I just see a, a realistic point of view that right now, three years ago, not many people could tell me about Bitcoin. Three years from now, a seven-year-old will be able to tell me about Bitcoin. Right? And probably will own some. <laughs> right. So for viewers, for people who are interested in uh, learning more about MoneyNet and, and what it offers, like, let's just sort of, you know, what, what are several points uh, to recap for them? You know, like how can they, you know, find out more? Oh, it's the easiest thing in the world. It's just money.net, M-O-N-E-Y dot N-E-T. And go there and you can get a free trial. You can try us out. You can, you can even talk to me if you want to. Uh, we have a pretty friendly staff. We have a great sales team. And I think that we're the friendliest group on Wall Street, I think, as for bringing the platform. Uh, I also see... Um, ABCA, American Blockchain and Cryptocurrency Association, were growing very fast. Uh, I think it's like 100% like the last month. So I think that's cool. And I think that as regulations come down and we're more involved in the in the, the laws and the production of the laws within the, the regulations of the cryptocurrency, I think that uh, ABCA will grow exponentially, um, not just in the laws and regulations, but also the education of cryptocurrencies to uh, the average person, as well as the institutional, as well as um, those writing smart contracts. Well, I think people can definitely benefit from nuance and realistic expectations of where this industry might evolve. And I think 
your your business insights are very interesting. I think you have very interesting stories. So yeah. uh, I also uh, invite the public to email me at Stephen at money.net. S T E V E N at money.net. I'm more than happy to answer questions and I love getting uh, emails and phone calls that I get all day long, and I love talking to people about it. Again, I'm not an evangelist, but I also feel like the uh, learning and the education of it is, is, is very valuable. Well, thank you. Thanks, Dave. That's Steve Orr, executive at Money.net and a board member of the American Blockchain and Cryptocurrency Association. Thank you for listening to a Bit Cryptic podcast. A Bit Cryptic podcast is hosted by Alain Leon. Dang Du, and myself, Jeff Peterson. Show notes are by our editor-in-chief, Dang Du. Website is by Sammy Toucan and his team at Pack Surge Media. Remember, nothing we say in this show is meant to be financial advice. If you like this episode, please share it with your friends and family. Thank you for listening, and remember, keep it cryptic.